0: end of that video about sin relief ministry centers jim lee who is our new ministry center director here at oklahoma city and i know he means so much to this church so jim it's a privilege to serve with you and be a part of that and they've given me your pastor owen has given me an opportunity to just share a little bit about sin relief up front before we get into the word Our focus at Sin Relief is on meeting needs and see God changing lives. And for the first time ever, our International Mission Board and our North American Mission Board have a joint ministry together that is called Sin Relief. And the purpose of our ministry, the mission of our ministry is to serve churches as you carry out Christ's great commission through ministries of compassion. And we have five major focuses. One is strengthening communities, and our ministry centers around the country are about strengthening communities by dealing with issues of poverty, uh, whatever the needs are in that community. The second major focus is ministry to refugees. I'll be sharing a little more about what we're doing with Ukrainian refugees in a very demanding time, very difficult time in that nation as that Ukrainian war is taking place. But that's a huge part of sin relief ministry around the world. And then thirdly is ministry to children and families, especially focusing on foster care and some adoption issues. And you know that incredible answer to prayer where Roe versus Wade was overruled by the Supreme Court, the estimates are now that there's going to be an incredibly large increase of foster kids because where children have previously been unwanted within the womb, there are now going to be an increase in children unwanted outside the womb. And so the churches are going to need to step up to the plate to care for these children in the days ahead. And Sin Relief wants to be assisting and helping in that area. Fourth is battling human trafficking. It's one of the most hideous sins of our modern day world. And we have ministry centers in Las Vegas and New Orleans and Shreveport here domestically and in Thailand and India internationally. And then our fifth major area is crisis response, disaster relief. We are serving our state disaster relief teams. Every state convention has a disaster relief ministry team. And we are serving them with resources, supplies, extra volunteers as needed. When a crisis like the flooding in Kentucky that has gone on in the last few days, there are, I think, about eight different state disaster relief teams who have converged on that area and we're supplying them with resources to meet those needs and so all this is about is the gospel because we tell folks you know we tell our staff that if we have helped someone feel better on their journey to hell we have missed the greatest need in their life and that is Jesus Christ we want the gospel to be central We're also focusing on global hunger relief, and our denomination has a Global Hunger Relief Sunday, the end of this month. And we're asking churches to support this. With the Ukrainian war, with what's come out of COVID, there are third world areas where starvation is a huge issue in the days ahead. And we want to seek to address that with the love of Christ. We're also building a prayer team. And you can sign up to be a part of our prayer ministry where I send out occasional bulletins of how you could be praying for individuals that serve in the ministry as well as ministry around the world. And then we want to give you a chance to volunteer. So I hope it's on the screen now. If we could uh, look at the slide that talks about volunteer. And we want to give you some instructions on that. Can we turn to that slide? Here it is. If you have any interest at all, in exploring the opportunity of volunteering for a sin relief mission trip whether it's domestically in north america or whether it's around the globe you can just text the word sunday to the number if you go to this number 888-123 for the word sunday you'll see there a link should show up on your iphone and you know it's unusual when the preacher asks you to pull out your iphone but go ahead and pull it out and you can go ahead and sign up for this now but text that in see the link to turn to and then it'll send you to a page where you can give us your name and your email and your cell number so that someone from Send relief offices where we are headquartered out of Atlanta in the North American Mission Board building will follow up with you in coming days so go ahead and take a moment to do that you're not committed to a mission trip But you can just explore. You're open to exploring and finding out what the options are in that. And if you'd like to know more about Sin Relief, just go to our website at sinrelief.org. Remember, we're about serving churches as you carry out the great commission of Christ through ministries of compassion. But I know most of all, you're here to hear a word from the Lord through the Word of God. So I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at a text that is very familiar to a lot of folks who have been in a Bible-believing church for a period of time because this is Christ making it clear what the mission of the church is. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And we're going to look at this particular theme. And that is how you can be a part of the most important work on the face of the earth. So if you're physically able to honor God, let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look at Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, as we stand before you to honor you as the king and creator of all, we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will speak to us from your word and especially from a very familiar passage in your word give us fresh insight today in a way that draws us to follow Jesus like never before And we pray this father in Jesus name amen you can be seated it is a long time to stand through the message so we want you to get comfortable there As your pastor Owen shared, I had a privilege of pastoring one church for 38 years in Atlanta and being the founding pastor of that church. And it was a privilege to see how God blessed that congregation during those 38 years and to be a part of what God was doing. But even more exciting was how Johnson Ferry, you wonder how it got the name, we're on Johnson Ferry Road in North Atlanta. And that church really got the vision of becoming a Great Commission church. And I think there were three decisions along the way that really enhanced that. Number one was giving. In our very first year, when we set up our very first church budget of $88,000, we made a big decision. Now think about $88,000. That's not a lot. That included the lease on the empty doctor's office where we were meeting and worshiping. That included all the operation costs of that ministry. All the resources of the ministry, including the pastor's salary. It was not a lot, I promise you. But we decided that year that we were going to give 11% to global missions. And to step out on faith, not knowing how we would ever come up with $88,000 in this new church meeting in an empty doctor's office, but to give, on faith, 11% to global missions. And in doing that, we said we wanted to always at least tithe to missions. And the reason that was a key starting point for Johnson Ferry is that Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You think he would say, where your heart is, then you will spend your dollars. But no, he says, where you spend your dollars, there your heart will be. And so Johnson Ferry, right up front, decided that we were going to have a priority on global missions and the Great Commission. And over time, it grew dramatically to where the church today gives about 24 to 25% of all the resources that come in to global missions. And that's a key of how God helped Johnson Ferry become a Great Commission church. But secondly, was through prayer. About eight years after we got underway... The International Mission Board came to us and they had spotted about 10 churches around our convention that were giving very generously to missions. And so they asked us, would you be willing to take on ownership and really focus on an unreached people group, people you cannot get to because there's not access to them, but just in a, in a prayerful way, in a, in a ministry of prayer to focus on an unreached people group. And so we said, yeah, we would be glad to. What people group will it be? They said the Kyrgyz people group. Well, we looked at them kind of with a blank look, classic American geographically challenged people. We didn't know who they were. It was the people of Kyrgyzstan. It was a Central Asian Republic that was a part of the old Soviet Union, the Soviet Empire. And so we started praying in 1989. And two years later, communism fell in the Soviet Union. And people at Johnson Fair were taking credit for the fall of the Soviet Union because we had been praying for a couple of years to be able to go in there and share the good news of Jesus Christ with those folks. And so we began to send medical mission teams. We began to send business uh, teams where they would go in and teach free enterprise, teach how to start a business. They, the communist system, they had no understanding of that. But all those teams would go in serving those people, and they were trained to share the good news of the gospel with those people. And today, there are thousands of believers in Kyrgyzstan. That's still a majority Muslim and atheistic culture, but there is a strong Christian witness there where there was not before. So prayer is the second big thing. But thirdly is going and sending. After we've been meeting as a church about 10 years, our student pastor at the time had a vision of challenging the high school students to give up their spring break go through eight weeks of discipleship training, and go serve the poorest of the poor south of the border there in Mexico by building houses and going door to door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. About 30 students and adults went on that first spring break mission trip. Well, what that did in their lives... And what that did in the life of John Safari is hard to describe because every year after that, more and more adults and teenagers were going on short-term mission trips around the globe to where leading up to COVID, we were averaging about 2,000 adults and teenagers a year going on about 70 to 80 mission trips around the globe. God did that. It was not us pleading with the church to do that. It was really of God as people saw the impact of taking Jesus mission goal for the church seriously and being a sending and a going church so my question to you today at Emmaus is you're already a global mission-minded church but what is it that God wants to do in your life personally and corporately as a church To move to the next level of being a great commission congregation. Now in that light, let's look at what God's word says about that calling. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 28. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Now what you see here in verse 16 is these disciples have done what Jesus has commanded them to do in one of his appearances after his resurrection question question how many appearances did Jesus make after he rose from the dead before he ascended to heaven now the answer is we don't know but if you'll study in the word you'll find 11 appearances of Christ. After his resurrection, he appeared first to Mary. You read about that in the Gospel of John. And then shortly thereafter to other women with Mary. Sometime on that first day when he arose, he appeared to Peter. And then on the fourth appearance of Jesus, on the very day he arose, it was to two guys on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus. That sounds familiar to a church like this. And then he appeared to ten disciples. That very night he rose from the dead. And then a week later... One of those disciples who wasn't with them on that night, a guy named Thomas, who said, I'm not going to believe till I touch the scars in his hands and his side. Well, Jesus appeared to the disciples on the next Sunday night after he had risen from the dead, and Thomas was there. And wouldn't you have loved to have been Jesus on that occasion? Thomas, baby, come over here. I want to show you something. Look at my hands. Look at my side. I'm real. And what did Thomas do? He just bowed down, my Lord. And my God, it was undeniable. But there were other appearances. He appeared to seven of the disciples in a little fishing adventure on the Sea of Galilee. He appeared to 500 people at one time. He appeared to his brother James, who became a key leader in the church at Jerusalem. And he also had this appearance on a mountain somewhere in the Galilean region where the disciples were told to gather. And then finally he appeared on the Mount of Olives that looks out over the east side of the old city of Jerusalem and that's where he ascended to heaven. And all these appearances give further evidence that he really did rise from the dead. But on this particular appearance, as he's got 11 disciples gathered there, he is giving them a charge and they trust him enough to obey him to go to this mountain anticipating that he's going to show up question where did he go between these appearances i don't know ask owen your pastor maybe he's got the answer to that but we do know that he made a lot of appearances after he rose from the dead so look at verse 17 it says when they saw him they worshiped him but some were doubtful now Obviously, Think about it. You know Jesus has conquered death. So wouldn't you worship him? They worshiped him because they were in awe of the fact that he really is who he claimed to be as the son of God. Now, worship is twofold. We can worship God in our daily quiet time, our daily devotional life. That is so important because it helps you to worship God corporately better when you have spent time during the week worshiping God alone. But then there is corporate worship. And one of the things that COVID did that brought such damage to the church was these prolonged times of the church not coming together to worship. We need to worship with one another. We need the encouragement of one another. Hebrews tells us, don't neglect the coming together. And I know video worship has been a great thing to help carry people through the COVID time. But the fact is, we need to come back together in person to encourage one another in worshiping the Lord. So the disciples were worshiping the Lord corporately together. But then it says something that's hard to take in. Then Matthew says, some were doubtful. Now, confession, confession. When I was a young pastor, I used to give the disciples a fit about this. I mean, how in the world can these guys be so sorry as to be doubting when the man has risen from the dead? i give them a fit about that. And then one day in my study, the Holy Spirit got all over me and convicted me. You know, Brian, you, you are misunderstanding here. In context of what is taking place, now listen, are you listening? I don't believe the disciples were doubting Jesus. I think they were doubting themselves. Because at this point, They're going to be pretty well clear what the mission is. Jesus is reiterating it here in this appearance. But after spending three years with Jesus, after these appearances, after he has risen from the dead, they're pretty clear on the mission. And here are these 11 ordinary guys. Judas has already committed suicide. But 11 ordinary guys, many of them are illiterate. They hadn't been to Bible college. They hadn't been to seminary. They didn't have cars, trains, planes. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have radio, TV. They didn't have all the modern helps that can be used in spreading the gospel around the world. These guys hadn't even been out of Israel. And Jesus is telling them to go and reach the whole world? Well, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you have some doubts? I mean, any human being that's thinking about this calling would have some doubts. So here's the question for you today. What God-sized challenge is the Lord putting on your heart about your role in carrying out Christ's great commission that is so big that the only way it's going to come about is by the power of God? But even more, what is it that God is putting on the heart of Emmanuel Church that is so big in the challenge and your role in the Great Commission that unless God intervenes, it is not going to happen because it is a doubt-sized challenge. What is the Holy Spirit leading this congregation to do? I think the disciples were just overwhelmed with doubting themselves, and the reason for that is look at verse 18. It backs this up. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, he saw them with the deer in the headlights look, overwhelmed at what he was charging them to do, knowing he's going to leave them in a short while. And he reassures them, look guys, all the power, all the authority you need for carrying out this mission is with me. You stay focused on me. You trust in me. And you're going to have all the power that is needed to carry out what I'm about to challenge you to do. And then we see the actual great commission in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now the command is to go. That's the command. That's what Jesus tells us all, his followers, is to go. It's also interesting in the Greek that it's not only an imperative command to go, but it can also be translated from the Greek word there, as you go. So as you go to work, as you go to the office, as you go to school, as you're uh, interacting with your neighbors, As you go about everyday life, we are called to be His witnesses in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. As you're going, wherever you're going. But we're commanded to go. And we're commanded to make disciples. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to go and make converts. He says, I want you to make disciples. Now, question who is the greatest college football coach of today i know you you know probably got a lot of OU and OSU folks here and they got all your opinions but hey it's indisputable it's Nick Saban and i'm not a Bama fan i want you to know i'm not a Bama fan but the guy's accomplishment is off the charts and what's interesting now is all the college coaches around America that have coached with or played under Nick Saban it's uncanny Because they watched him in action to learn to be the kind of coach they're called to be. Think about Coach K in basketball. Coach K, do you realize there are 10 Division I college basketball coaches that either played or coached with Coach K? That's pretty strong influence. They learned how, as one of those disciples, how to get it done. Now, you may have your feelings with OU and You know, they're all kind of coaches' names that you might mention. But I want you to know, I'll say this. I went to the University of South Carolina, an unusual Georgia boy to go to South Carolina. But we are very grateful for OU. I mean, you sent us your coach, uh, sent us a coach we got now, Coach Beaver. You sent us a quarterback. You sent us a tight end. And then there's Coach Venables who had been there just torturing us at Clemson University. And he's now come to OU and he's away from us now. I, I just want to thank OU all the donations you made to us but probably everybody around is so intimidated by coach saban but think of the influence he's had on others think of I mean, Kirby smart in our own state one of the disciples there of coach saban well jesus is saying i want you to make disciples disciples learn to be like the master that means that jesus wants us to grow in spirit and character like him that's what it means To make disciples. And at Sin Relief, we believe through ministries of compassion, we have an opportunity to lead people to Christ and make disciples. Now, here's a question. I know your pastor Owen talks to you about the gospel. I know your Bible teachers here talk about the gospel. But what is the gospel? What is it? The gospel is Christ died for your sins, and Christ rose from the dead. That is the gospel. Now, obviously, your pastor and Bible teachers here need to elaborate on what that means. In other words, Christ died for our sins. Well, who's Christ? Well, he is the Son of God. Well, why did he have to die for our sins? Well, all of us are separated from God because of our sins. And God loves you and me so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. What is the penalty of sin? It is death. And Christ was willing to give his life for us and shed his blood on the cross so that we could be cleansed of our sin when we confess our sin, acknowledge our sin, and say to God, oh Lord, forgive me. I now want to repent of my sin and follow Jesus. When we're willing to believe that and accept that, God cleanses us of sin. And the shame and the guilt get removed. But not only that, the good news gets even better than that. Because Christ rose from the dead. And all of us who receive Christ in faith, we not only are forgiven of our sins and made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross, but we get to have victory over death. Now now think about it, folks. I don't know how it is in Oklahoma City, but I know this in Atlanta. We are eat up with bad news whether it's newspapers, whether it's television, whether it's radio, whether it's the internet, whether it's social media, bad news galore. But what could be greater news than hearing and revealing to someone who doesn't know God, who is not right with God, who doesn't understand the love of God, that God loves them so that he sent his son to give his life for them so they could be right with God and have victory over sin and death. What could be better news than that? That's the gospel. That's what we're called to share. And that is what is necessary to share if a person is going to become a disciple. You know, in the storm of Hurricane Ida last fall, it was the worst hurricane of the season. And Sin Relief went in, took part with the disaster relief teams in providing over seven hundred and fifty thousand meals to people who had often lost everything and over 220 people trusted christ because as those needs were being met there was an openness to hear what we have to share in sharing the good news of the gospel there's a saying that you may have heard a hungry man has no ears And if somebody's about to starve to death, they're trying to figure out how they're going to get their next piece of food to survive. They're not going to really listen to anything we've got to say until that need is met and then there is an openness to the gospel. So that's the first aspect of the Great Commission. And how is it that Jesus has decided that you and I would be a part of his team and identify as a follower of Jesus? It is baptism. He commands the church, the disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, why is that? Well, it is a beautiful symbol in baptism death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is symbolized in baptism, but it is the way Jesus has chosen for us to identify as his followers. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I've been baptized as an infant, I've got that covered. There's nothing in the Bible about infant baptism. It's just not there. It's something that the church made up along the way, but it's not in the Bible. The baptism Jesus talks about is a baptism that is a testimony, testifying to others that you have decided to follow Jesus. It is a public demonstration of your faith in Christ. And let me explain it this way. As a pastor, I have performed a lot of wedding ceremonies. Now listen, are you listening? This may shock you. I have never had one person that I married fall in love during their wedding ceremony. It's never happened. They were already in love. That's why they get married. And baptism is very simpler. Baptism doesn't save you, it's just a testimony. Listen, at Johnson Ferry, probably you've had it here, Owen. We had people enter the baptismal waters lost and come out wet and lost. Baptism doesn't save you. It's just how you publicly testify to God and the church that you have decided to follow Jesus. That's what it's about. So there's some people here today, you, you made the decision to follow Jesus, but you haven't been willing to follow His command to be Baptized. And it is the very first thing we're commanded to do in following Jesus. There's some of you that are about 3, 5, 15, 40 years late. But it's never too late. Why not make that decision today and get that nailed down? Because how in the world are you going to go out and make disciples if you don't take the very first command that Jesus gives us to identify with Him? And that's to be baptized. That's our first step in doing that. But he says something else. In verse 20a, he says there's another aspect of the Great Commission. He says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, think about it this way. And Owen, I'm sure you've seen this in churches. But churches will often get lopsided. Bible-believing evangelical churches will get lopsided. Either real strong on evangelism and reaching people for Christ or real strong on discipleship, but not necessarily both. You see that in churches, getting lopsided. And a church might be so strong in evangelism, it's about a mile wide, theological, about an inch deep. Not a whole lot of discipling occurring there. On the other hand, there are those churches that pride themselves in discipleship. Oh, deeper life Christians. And they never get around to telling anybody about Jesus, but boy, they are going deep. And they form what I call these holy huddles of spirituality. And I don't know about you, but when you're watching a football game this fall, when you look at the huddle, if you're looking from the outside, all you see is a bunch of rear ends. It's not a real attractive sight, not a real inviting sight. And that tends to happen a lot of intensely deep spiritually thinking folks. So what we need is both. It's not one or the other. We're to share the gospel. We're to have a priority on evangelism and missions, but we're also called to teach people the Word of God and how to apply the Word of God to your everyday life. Because there's some of you that have been growing in Christ for years, and you've got an equivalent of a master's and Ph.D. in Bible study. You've got a lot of biblical knowledge. But that knowledge is for application. You see, disciples make disciples they don't sit in bible studies all their life and never get in the game can you imagine the guys at osu and ou going through two-a-day practices all through the season and never playing in the game that'd be pretty pretty dull i don't know if i would want to do that can you imagine people that are in the military going through basic training day after day after day and they never engage in battle And yet, the overwhelming majority of people in Bible-believing churches get the equivalent of a doctorate in biblical knowledge without application of how to apply the Word to your everyday life in a way that you want to carry out and fulfill your role in Christ's great commission. In other words, to some of you good folks here at Emmaus, need to begin to get in the game in fulfilling your role in Christ's great commission. And then Jesus reassures them. He reassures them in verse 18. He's with them. He reassures them at the end of verse 20. He's going to be with them as he will be with all of us who follow him in carrying out the most important work on the face of the earth. So here's the question today. What is the Lord guiding and convicting you of in your personal life about your role, your role in carrying out Christ's great commission? And second question what is God doing in the life of Emmaus? where you as a corporate body of Christ are fulfilling your role as a church in the Great Commission. Now, when Jesus said to make disciples of all nations, the Greek word he uses for what we translate as nations is the Greek word ethnos. And this is important now. Listen to this. From ethnos, the Greek word, we get the English words ethnic or ethnicity. And really it should be translated people groups. Because you look at a globe uh, of the world in 1900, say 120 years ago. You'll see all kind of nations and countries you never heard of. You'll see geographical boundaries that are so different from a map of the world today. Jesus in his genius, genius knew when he gave this great commission that different nations would change. Names would change. Boundaries would change. But people groups, that's groups that have a common language and a common culture. They stay basically the same. You can have a people group of a tribe of 800, 2,000. You can have a people group that is mega millions like the Japanese. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I want you to reach all the people groups. Now, missiologists tell us there are about 11,700 people groups in the world, all sizes. And of those 11,700, there's about 7,000 people groups that are considered unreached. How is that classified? That's any people group with less than 2% of the population are Christian, born-again Christians. For instance, Japan is still considered an unreached people group because less than 2% of the population is Christian, even though they've had ministries and missionaries and churches for hundreds of years. But of those 7,000 unreached people groups, about 3,000 of them are unreached and unengaged. What does that mean? That means there is no known Christian, no known church, no known Christian ministry of any kind in that people group. 3,000, that's a lot. But now listen, are you listening? Don't miss this. Just 10 years ago, in 2011, there were 3,800 unreached and unengaged people groups. In other words, that number has dropped by about 800 in the last 10 years. It is the fastest drop in the 2,000-year history of the church. And when you live in America with all the hard-heartedness and cynicism in America about the gospel of Jesus Christ, where it seems so few people are really open and willing to listen. Don't kid yourself. God is working powerfully in places around the globe where people who have never heard are longing to hear and are coming to know Jesus Christ. So, with God working in the world so powerfully today, what is going to be the role of Emmaus in reaching these unreached people groups with the good news of Jesus Christ? One of our IMB missionaries was telling me, he came to me in a, a missions conference at another church in Chattanooga, kind of like this small church, but doing incredible things in missions. And he came to me and he said, I, Brian, I just want to tell you something Sin belief did. You may not even know it. But this was in the COVID time and coming out of COVID. He says, we've been discipling Christians in South India. And in the course of that discipleship, we've been encouraging them to really apply their vocation, apply their life to sharing with people groups around them. And we ordered some supplies for food, purchased those foods locally to help the economy during COVID in some remote village areas where there were people that were afraid they were going to starve to death. In one village, where almost everyone in that village was another religion, there were about 8,000 people. We delivered food bags that would feed a family of four for about two to four weeks. We had the national Christians we've been discipling to go and do the delivery because those churches are going to be there. He said of the 8,000 people that received those food supplies, 2,200 plus trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now that's, that's exciting. But see here were these people thought they were going to starve to death and this need was being met and then they were open to the gospel. But even more, he said, but let me tell you what happened to one family. There was one family when this national Christian showed up at their door with that food bag, they began to weep. And it was a father and mother that had planned their final meal with their children. They were going to poison their children and themselves so their children wouldn't have to go through the agonizing death of starvation over weeks at a time. And these Christians showed up with that food bag and not only saved the lives of that family physically, but that mother and father came to trust Christ because they couldn't believe people loved them that much. Now that's just one role sin relief has. I mean, we, we've been ministering to the Ukrainian refugees that have, I mean, over 6 million Ukrainians have left that nation, largely women and children. And even another 6 to 7 million are in the Ukraine, displaced within the nation. And we're there serving with, through the churches, and churches like Emmaus that support through giving to our IMB and, and North American Mission, giving to our funds. You're taking part in these ministries. And yet around the world, what is it that God is leading you to do and Emmaus to do in carrying out Christ's great commission? Because remember, this is the most important work on the face of the earth. Nothing comes close to the mission that Christ has given his church how will you respond let's pray father God you have your hand on this church great spirit in this church and Lord I know there's bound to be a ton of Christ followers in this church that know today it's time to get off the sidelines and stop being a Ph.D. in Bible study and start applying your word to fulfilling your great commission, to get in the game, get in the battle. How are you calling that person today, Lord? And Father, I pray for this church, already a missions-minded church, already a church seeking for Christ's great commission to be fulfilled. Lord, what kind of doubt-sized challenge are you going to put on the heart of Emmaus in the days to come? And being a part of this great mission you have given your church, the most important work on the face of the earth. And Lord, in a room this large, they're bound to be people that have not made that decision of trusting Christ. Or they're bound to be people, those classic cultural Christians, who believe what you say in the Bible about Jesus, but they've never really entrusted their heart and life to Jesus. May this be the day, Lord, right now, when they come to you and say, Lord, forgive me, I I've been going my own way. I want to do things your way now. I want to follow Jesus. Oh Lord, may they make that decision with you right now. Lord, there are bound to be people here that have trusted Christ, but they've never obeyed you in baptism. And they left out the very first command you give a new believer and follower of Jesus. May they have the courage to obey you and step forward. So that as they participate in your great commission, they will do so as a faithful follower of Jesus. Lord, you know the decisions people need to make today. Holy Spirit, we pray for your conviction to guide each person here in following your will in fulfilling their role in the most important work on the face of the earth, the mission of your church. For we pray this prayer, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.